0: This podcast episode is brought to you by the Outcomes Rocket Network, where you get your healthcare insights from the most inspiring healthcare podcasters.
1: Welcome to the Marketing Mondays podcast, where we explore how we can make your offerings stand out in the health and wellness space. Through conversations with thought leaders and innovators in health and wellness marketing, we'll discuss marketing best practices, case studies, and innovative ideas to help scale your business and grow revenues with impact. I'm excited to be your host. My name is Andrea Borcha, I'm a fractional CMO and owner of the Dia Creative Marketing Agency. Welcome to Marketing Mondays. My name is Andrea, and I am the CMO of DIA Creative, where we specialize in healthcare marketing. And I'm very excited for my guest today, Michael Bidou, who has a very impressive background. You're currently running four different companies <laughs> as, uh, at the same time. And um, yeah, I'd love to just hear a little bit about... Why don't we start with your newest venture? And then we'll go back and, and dig in a little bit earlier. So, so tell me what you're up to with um, Mind Therapeutics.
0: Yes. Hi, Andrea. Thank you for inviting me. Uh, So I'm uh, based in Vancouver, Canada, and uh, I'm actually doing uh, uh, two companies at this time. Sometimes I'm involved in in more companies, but at this point in time, there's just two. My latest uh, uh, startup, it's Mind Therapeutics, which is a digital health company uh, specializing in uh, digital therapeutics, uh, which is a new field in digital health uh, started about five, seven years ago. And the unique thing that we're doing at Mind Therapeutics, we are taking science that's been sitting uh, uh, on sort of university shelves uh, for the last, you know, 10, 20 years and uh, adding clinical practice uh, that's been proven and create software. Yeah. And what's unique about Mind Therapeutics is that we're using virtual reality and augmented reality to focus on the mind. Yeah. So, uh, it's all about, you know, uh, helping um, people who struggle with all sorts of chronic diseases uh, to prevent, uh, manage, and treat uh, those diseases. And our focus right now uh, with our first uh, minimum viable product, is uh, um, which is focused on obesity, by the way, is uh, uh, really to focus on the physical, mental, and behavioral health. So uh, we're a very new company in that regard there's a few companies uh, for your listeners in the market like uh, you know Omada Health for example or Fair Therapeutics or Achille Interactive and uh, most of these companies have already got FDA approval for uh, digital therapies uh, and some of them are using either video games for children like Achille Interactive very interesting very really a a tremendous company uh, that I admire and uh, um, others uh, are using, uh, you know, like uh, applied VR from Los Angeles are using virtual reality to treat chronic uh, pain. So we at Mind Therapeutics, we decided to focus on obesity and eating disorders. And we believe that, uh, you know, adding uh, virtual reality to cognitive behavior therapy uh, actually enhances the results, uh, creates better experiences, actually immersive, uh, amazing experiences. and. That's kind of what we're doing at Mind Therapeutics.
1: That's incredible. So all,
0: yeah. So, yeah. Please ask me any questions. No, you.
1: no. I, I, you know, I, I think it really talks to the evolution of health uh, and and where it's been and where it's going. You know, to to back up a bit, you and I met probably like eight eight years ago now at Interface, which is your that you started. Interface was um, a health summit that I just happened upon, and I was super excited. To, to learn about. And I feel like your career has been an evolution of exploring what is new and innovative in health and how to talk about it and how to get people comfortable with it. And now you're moving into a space where your your virtual and augmented reality is going to somehow make me healthier. Like that's not even something I put in my body or I inject or I have to do. Like it's it's um I I I think that's why I'm just so amazed at this evolution of health, you know, and where we're going.
0: Yeah, Andrea. I mean, indeed, uh, you and I met a couple of uh, years ago at Interface Summit, which is our annual global summit uh, in Vancouver, Canada. And so uh, that's my not-for-profit organization or our not-for-profit, I should say, since we have a board and all that. It's a not-for-profit organization called Interface Health Society. And so what is interesting about Interface Health is that, uh, according to John Nosta, you know, one of the top digital health influencers in, in the United States and in, in the world, for that matter, we created a, uh, a model there uh, that John actually called, like, this is true, the, the first virtual accelerator in the world uh, in digital health. And so... That in itself, uh, uh, you know, was uh, a bit of a departure from traditional digital health technology accelerator are using uh, kind of cohort models. Uh, we did this move in 2015. We got a, a grant from the Canadian government to create a national uh, network of innovation. And eventually I figured like, well, if we do it for Canada, we might as well do it for the world. Uh, it's the same effort, right? It's uh, software, it's web-based. And so... Uh, that's kind of how uh, uh, it evolved. Now, I've been in digital health, as you know, for about 11 years now. And so that seems like, a, I don't know, 30 or 40 or 50 years.
1: Uh, yeah, uh, especially in health.
0: <laughs> yeah, in health. I mean, and and uh, yeah, the person who obviously inspired me to uh, get into health was Dr. Eric Topol from uh, San Diego, from uh, Scripps. And uh, at the time, Uh, this is 2009 Uh, he uh, actually uh, created uh, together with don jones and a few others from san diego created the west wireless health institute uh, if you remember yeah that was actually the first accelerator if you like in in the united states and i wanted to do something similar in vancouver Uh, and the reason we wanted to do it in vancouver is because we have a very interesting uh, ecosystem here of wireless companies uh, digital media companies life sciences companies and it was this new emerging field of digital health uh, startups. We probably had at that time less than 20, and now we probably have about 100 to 150 digital health companies. So
1: amazing. Yeah. Congratulations. That's that's Thank good you. growth. How, how did you, I mean, you had to start this from scratch basically in Vancouver. So, how did you get the word out? How did you get people interested in these startups starting to know that you exist?
0: Thank you. Uh, so, I mean, uh, the initial uh, model that was uh, sort of very traditional uh, was similar to, you know, uh, any technology accelerator that creates programs uh, where you have mentorship, uh, advisory services, uh, and you help startups to go to market. And so all that effort was done through through the ecosystem uh, with help from uh, industry associations, from uh, meetups, uh, you know, the ecosystem itself, it's its very large, as you know, problem that we faced uh, at the time, and it's still today, I think it's a problem for uh, any accelerator, uh, is uh, to attract and, and educate the uh, healthcare system itself, because the healthcare system, it's, it's very focused on the system itself. Yeah. Uh, and the system, it's always interested in um, what's called, sustainable innovation yeah it's it's about optimizing an existing system whereas we on the startup side we are more focused on disruptive uh, innovation that creates new jobs creates new wealth uh, and creates frankly you know better health outcomes uh, for reduced costs and 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 you know uh, significantly you know better solutions in many regards so going back to your question how we we kind of market it or how we through uh, our uh, interface health as a uh, virtual digital technology accelerator, we actually started building partnerships with accelerators from around the world. Yeah, uh, And the reason we did that was because when we looked at the market in 2015-16, uh, United States went from one or two accelerators up to, uh, I think at the time, were at least uh, almost a 100 accelerators in the United wow. States. Yeah, like almost every state in the United States had one, two, three, or five accelerators. Yeah, yeah. Uh, some were city-based, some were uh, based by uh, United Universities, uh, like, I don't know, Stanford or other types of universities. And then you had private uh, accelerators. So it was a kind of an explosion of digital health uh, technology accelerators in the States, similarly in Canada, but the, the explosion really was in the States. And we figured like, okay, well, we can't, possibly compete with all these, you know. So that's when I said, well, let's create more of a a facilitator, a network that can work with all these accelerators. So right now, there's probably 300 or more uh, accelerators in the world. Uh, Some people would say maybe there's 500 digital health uh, technology accelerators. We decided to go kind of with, uh, with the top 20%. Yeah. Uh, We kind of did our research in Canada and United States, in Europe, Asia, you know, like Singapore, China, Japan, uh, South Korea, and so on and so forth. And we went as far as uh, Australia and New Zealand. And we created uh, partnerships with about 30 uh, digital health technology accelerators. Once we did that, we had this uh, great relationship and we had to give them a reason to work with us. And that reason... Was Interface Health Challenge X, uh, so that's uh, a competition that we created. That is also known, kind of, in the digital health space as the Olympics of digital health innovation. And so we did that to really discover uh, the best innovators in the world. We don't think anyone has the monopoly on innovation. You know, great innovation can come from United States, from Canada, from Brazil, from I don't Poland or. Israel or Australia. So we created this competition so that we can, and that uh, also created the, the network effects. Yeah, because we uh, engage all these accelerators; they they engage their own startups, and suddenly, you know, everybody talks about you. Know, we created this uh, Interface Health Challenge X for you know, which is a competition for about six months. Usually starts in March, April, and goes till uh, October. And that's uh, the finale of that. It's usually at uh, in Vancouver at the Lo- our Global Summit. And I'll stop right there because you may have other questions.
1: Well, I I think you can, I feel like there's a, you can definitely see the evolution of digital health from 15, 10, even five years ago. I mean, you, you're saying, you know, 10 years ago, I think digital health was considered the, the ugly disruptor like uh, the healthcare system didn't want digital health yet it wasn't comfortable with with innovation it wasn't comfortable with changing things this is people's health i feel like that's always the excuse in healthcare is we're dealing with people's health so we can't you can't put health on an iphone you can't you can't start digitizing it you can't all these you can't you can't you can't but then when you're saying like 2015 all of a sudden all of these accelerators started showing up i think it's because we started seeing proof of concept in like late 2000s uh early 2010 uh era right and we start seeing that evolution what do you think like where do you see that the healthcare system got more comfortable to start allowing this digitiz- digitization and innovation or do you do you think they're still not comfortable <laughs>
0: Well I mean there's two principles uh, in digital health uh, uh, you know for your listeners I think it's important to understand a little bit the definition of digital health or at least how I see and 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 uh, some of the uh, uh, leaders in the field think about digital health uh, and we're looking at two uh, key areas one is the democratization of healthcare and what that means is that you know through digital health tools and and products and services, we actually empower the users uh, to take care of their own health. And we do that through smartphones and other smart devices, whether it's a wearable or your car or your home, or, you know, there's a lot of work that we have been doing there. And that's kind of in the consumer and and wellness space. The healthcare, it's, uh, you know, uh, deals with what's called the digitization of medicine. And as we know, uh, you know, healthcare and education were the last two sort of dinosaurs as big economy, you know, industries who have not changed for, for a long time. Yeah, and so of course, uh, uh, healthcare was not comfortable with, uh, you know, all the startups showing up at their door and, and knocking on the door and, and telling them that, hey, we are here to help and we want to change and for the better. Now, of course, healthcare, it's, it's a risk-adverse industry anywhere on the planet uh, for all the good reasons. But I think uh, uh, the evolution in the last couple of years, Andrea, uh, is significant. I mean, we have seen the investment in the United States in particular uh, uh, went from something less than a you know, billion dollars up to 24 or something like that. It's, it's a significant uh, growth in 10 years. yeah. And so what that meant is that we had, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of startups uh, knocking on doors, trying to change. And in the last five years, we've seen a bit of, uh, you know, uh, more mature startups, more startups who finally understood that in order to work with uh, healthcare, uh, you need to go through very rigorous processes, uh, whether it's FDA approval, you had to go and do a couple of clinical trials. So all that uh, differentiated, I think, companies who, in the end, were successful, such as, again, Omada, Pear, Akili, and and a few others, of course, uh, who have been. So I think it was a a period of, you know, initially the first five years was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, movement in the market, a lot of enthusiasm and all that. But uh, eventually, uh, about five years later, uh, we, you know, the whole startup community hit the reality and the reality is you have to be very good and very serious and very rigorous about uh, you know what you do. And so I think that's what happened. We now, you know, kind of in the last two years, of course, COVID-19 showed up and uh, it was a tremendous accelerator for everybody. Yeah. Uh, it's almost like a forward uh, button that suddenly, you know, I have a one of my very good friends, Lucien Engeland from the Netherlands. He said that, Digital health uh, was pregnant for the last ten years, and finally, <laughs> we we delivered the baby. <laughs> so that's how we <laughs> put it, yeah. Which is true in many ways, yeah. yeah? Because uh, COVID uh, has allowed us to uh, show that telehealth, virtual medicine, and all these things can work, yeah. They do work. They and and frankly, I think it was a behavior change on on both the consumer side, yeah because we all have to stay at home, but also on uh, on the physician or the provider side, yeah, because – and I I have examples. uh, Here in Vancouver, uh, I had a few physicians who were completely against telehealth. Like they didn't believe that you can do, I don't know, psychology or psychiatry or any kind of treatment over a phone or email or even to see each other face-to-face on the eye. They didn't believe it. They didn't want to change. Well, guess what? Almost overnight, they had to change <laughs> and they changed. And I, I met with them, you know, uh, uh, a couple of months later after COVID started. It's like, Michael, I'm a converted now. It wow. does. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they were forced to do it. Uh, you know, the reimbursement codes almost appear overnight. So in Canada, or at least in British Columbia, it takes us about, I don't know, two to three years to create a, a reimbursement code. Yeah. By the government. Well, guess what? Uh, because of COVID, those reimbursement codes were created within kind of 48 hours to seven days. Yep. So yeah. It was so, a good yeah, proof of concept.
1: Yeah. It was a good proof of concept to uh to confirm that all of this is possible. Everything that that marketers and technology companies and startups have been telling the healthcare industry is possible. We it it forced them to, to actually try it out. When I guess before COVID, or even now after COVID, how do you think you approach healthcare professionals? Because at least my experience has been that there's um, there's definitely a bit of arrogance and a, a, a definitely a bit of fear within the healthcare industry of of this is how we've done things. And COVID's shaken them up a bit. But now, how do you still approach them with this next innovation technology? Since you can't just shut down the world again for two years, <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I I think it's education, yeah, both the public and and all these, uh, you know, professionals who work in the healthcare system, whether they're, I don't know, uh, researchers, scientists, or physicians, or specialists of some kind, it starts with education, Andrea, Uh, there's no way around that, yeah, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, that's kind of what, uh, why you see all these events, uh, whether they're organized by HIMSS in the United States, or Interface, you know, health. uh, I think uh, it starts right there. But then uh, I think uh, uh, you need to uh, work with hospitals or healthcare systems to figure out some, you know, uh, projects that have some, you know, potential for good outcomes. And so the the issue uh, is really to sit down with uh, these folks from the healthcare system and really communicate what's called a value proposition, right? And uh, uh, I think the more educated they are, the better, you know, uh, the greater chance to to actually come up with a, a project that could be successful. Uh, I don't think there's a, a lack of innovation out there. Uh, and I'll give you an example. So just last year, we had our, you know, virtual global summit and uh, uh, I had one of the guest speakers was Dr. John Brownstein from uh, Boston Children's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. And so John is the director of innovation at what's probably the best digital health accelerator in the United States. Yeah, I visited them. I mean, the kind of stuff they do there is just amazing. Yeah, they actually take science and clinical practice, and they work with uh, amazing partners like uh, Twitter or Uber or like amazing collaborations. Yeah. And so uh, we asked John the question, like, you know, what do you say to all these startups who knock on your door? And he said, listen, it's very hard because I get, you know, 200, 300, 400 of these startups. Like it's hard to know. And the problem uh, that uh, the startups themselves have is that each one of them thinks that they have something very unique. Yeah. And the problem is that they're not aware that there's another startup that does pretty much what they do. And then yeah. they kind of waste my time and they waste their time. So his advice to the startups was like, guys, go out first and and do a bit of a competitive analysis. Like find out who does what you do in the market. And when you actually end up talking to me, the hospital or the healthcare authority or the accelerator, you know, uh, come up back with, with something that can help us, uh, you know. Basically, he says that there's just too many startups who do parts of a process, yeah. And so I'd rather have one startup that helps me throughout the whole life of a patient, yeah, that has a solution that is, uh, you know, uh,
1: uh, all-inclusive all- comp-
0: yeah like, all-inclusive yeah. Uh, yeah comprehensive yeah. solution as opposed to a tiny sliver uh, uh which cannot possibly help
1: it, do you think that's happening because the health of a patient especially throughout their life is just such a big endeavor that startup like innovators and startup entrepreneurs, I think, like to solve one problem that they see in front of them, but it's not just one problem. It's an entire ecosystem that they're trying to influence.
0: Well, I think, I mean, let's look at other industries. Yeah. I would answer your question that way, uh, Andrea. I think let's take financial services as an example. Yeah. In financial services, uh, the banks uh, have figured out systems and they have changed in the last 20 years, several times, yeah? They went from, you know, traditional banking to online banking to mobile banking to now uh, digital banking, yeah? And so yep. they, and everything has changed in the ecosystem, yeah? And, and more of us or all of us are now used to do, you know, uh, mobile or digital banking just fine. So it was an evolution over the last 20 years. And I, I don't think we have seen that kind of change in healthcare, healthcare still. yeah still, yeah right. so i think it's still very challenging i still believe that uh, you know there's silos that don't like to talk to each other for whatever reason it's incredible that in canada and in other parts of the world we still have fax machines uh, I know. <laughs> it's just like it's crazy right yeah so yeah yeah so i think the uh, the actual healthcare industry has changed in pockets yeah the overall system, which is a big system. I mean, the healthcare industry globally, it's an $8.5 trillion industry. It's, it's the largest industry on this planet. So it's not like you have one industry, but it, you have all these different, it, I mean, if you look at this industry as a horizontal, you have all these verticals, yeah? yeah. That each one of them, it's a, I don't know, a $100 billion vertical, yeah? How do you change that? It, it, and how do you make it interoperable and interactive? And, and how do you open it up on both sides, patients and providers and payers? So it's it's a very complicated uh, mechanism and system to change.
1: Do you feel that the like hospital administrators and, and healthcare professionals are aware of the entire ecosystem in a way that they would also be looking for solutions that are interactive, interoperable, or do you think the problem is also that the healthcare providers themselves are very narrow? I'm just an obstetrician and that's all I want to worry about. Or I am just a hospital administrator in Kansas. All I want to worry about is what works in my Kansas hospital. Leave me alone otherwise.
0: I mean, I think like in any industry, uh, if I'm an you know a gynecologist or an ophthalmologist, all I care is my own business, right? I mean, I don't really care about the the, the whole system. So we have to take that into consideration. But I think you you, you have to have organizations who need to change those uh, you know uh, um, vertical silos that exist there, so that eventually uh, you you transform this massive system, which is horizontal, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. uh, to make it work but as i said a few minutes ago i think uh, there's pockets of innovation out there uh, that uh, we have seen in the last uh, you know couple of years and because of covid we have seen tremendous change in hospitals in in clinics whether specialty but i think the in the end uh, if i could uh, i don't know give some advice on the you know uh, marketing side if you like how do we market the solutions is to me is the only, you know, drivers who can actually, you know, demand change of the system, it's you and I, it's the users, it's the consumers, it's the citizens who need to tell their governments or their employers, you know, to change things for the better. And so we have the solutions. The solutions are out there. The The problem, of course, is the implementation and, and the system. And, you know, uh, now we, we're almost, we, 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 have looked at all this uh, a new generation of solutions but now and this is kind of a view uh, into the future andrea we're looking now at the metaverse we're looking at uh, virtual reality augmented reality artificial intelligence digital humans uh, uh, digital twins like there's almost like this massive massive uh, change that will happen in technology yeah, uh, yeah. it's almost like uh, it, and and according to some people uh, this will be a bigger change than the internet, the mobile, social media combined. Yeah. We're looking at how do we do things in 3D? Yeah. How do we create these new worlds? How do we help, let's say, a brain surgeon to do non invasive surgery using VR and AR before he or she does the surgery? And so, I mean, I, I'm this is what excites me about the future. Yeah. yeah? Uh, like it, it's coming. And, and uh, I, you know, there's a lot of good science uh, that is out there to suggest that uh, we can create uh, better health outcomes, better experiences, and, and hopefully uh, create, also improve the access to health and healthcare uh, for everybody.
1: I, I like that. I, I wonder, I mean, I feel like most industries are influenced by the end user, right? So the, that end consumer is the one that's driving the demand for change and uh, users say, this is what I like using, this is what it ends up using. In healthcare, it still feels like there's a bit of a battle because patients can go and say, this is what I want, but doctors and hospitals still feel like I know better. Have you, have you found that still to be the case, or do you think that patients and individuals have more of a voice as we're moving forward, as we're taking better control of our own health?
0: Well, uh, you have to look a little bit at uh... The what's happening in healthcare systems in general, meaning that you have a lot of physicians who uh, are retiring, yeah, a lot of nurses that are retiring. So the workforce is a big problem uh, for any healthcare system going forward. Uh, the medical schools anywhere on the planet they can't deliver enough, you know, medical. Uh, you know, doctors or, or nurses uh, to to be able to take care of uh, the massive demand that is coming. Yeah. So, in my opinion, the only way you can deal with that is uh, by you know adopting smart technologies that are designed to help uh, you you know uh, uh, improve your productivity and 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 uh, really deliver better healthcare. Yeah. And yes. so, I think. The, the patients um, the consumers uh, the citizens uh, need to demand change yeah uh, the big companies the big technology companies whether it's apple or google or amazon or uh, you know others they're also working on creating this uh very new platform in you know uh, spatial computing 3d virtual reality augmented reality artificial intelligence i mean all these technologies it's it, it's almost a it's a wave that's about to happen. I mean, it started very slowly, uh, maybe two, three years ago, five years ago, but now we see more and more activity in that space. And I think uh, the users will, will will absolutely adopt the new technologies and will force the doctors and the systems to to change. Uh, now, change is slow, yeah. Uh, and, and, in healthcare in particular is probably one of the slowest, uh, for again, for good reasons. Yeah. I'm not suggesting here that, uh, you know, uh, uh change is bad uh, or, or the healthcare is not changing. It, it does change, but change also happens suddenly. Like, uh, you know, you have all this stuff that, you know, you work for five, 10, 20 years and then suddenly it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what I hope, uh, and that's kind of how why I spent the last couple of years in digital health, and that's why I started buying therapeutics to uh, to focus on what's coming next. Yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, I think the future looks uh, pretty bright, uh, and uh, we need we need to improve uh, definitely access and delivery uh, of healthcare in the United States, in Canada, around the world, because according to WHO, uh, Andrea. About 4 billion people, that's half of the population of the planet, they don't have access to uh, healthcare, like modern healthcare. So there's a market out there. Half of the population of this planet is waiting. And the other half also wants better healthcare.
1: <laughs> so together, you have a solution. <laughs>
0: together, we have a solution, yes.
1: And and that's that's really where where we're pushing with this VR and AR that you're talking about and all these remote possibilities is... Is you you don't necessarily need to have doctors all over the world as long as you have doctors that are in these mind spaces that you're that you're trying to build out and all of these new technology, you could be you could access the top brain surgeon in the world in the middle of nowhere in in the world, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, so I'll give an example, uh, and I'll uh, you know I'll be biased here because I'm going to use an example from mind therapeutics, uh, but uh, I'll the 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 area that we want to focus on for now at the beginning of, uh, of our product line it's obesity which is a chronic disease that is complex and costly the one of the issues that we are trying to solve is the fact that in Canada we only have about 70 to 100 obesity experts in Canada not very we have, many not very many yeah <laughs> no. so so and you have a population of seven million Canadians who are obese or have obesity rather uh, and uh, uh, another eight million or so uh, uh, who are overweight well wow. how in the world can 70 or 100 obesity experts can help you know seven million uh, patients they can't uh-uh. uh, we, we i mean you do a simple math and you realize that these obesity experts can only serve about two, maybe 3% of the market. That's it, yeah? So going now to explain how technology can help in the future, well, let's just say, uh, I don't know, Dr. Smith, an obesity expert uh, who only sees 10 or 15 patients a day, uh, you can say, well, hey, Dr. Smith, uh, how about we uh, create a software that will actually use cognitive behavior therapy Pretty much, you know what you use in your clinical practice, and uh, we uh, digitize you. We create a di- digital twin of you. Yeah. So suddenly we have a doctor Smith uh, that is the digital copy of uh, you know the real doctor Smith, and you can now become this digital human able to serve you know patients uh, you know in Canada or anywhere in the world for that matter. Uh, and, and suddenly you can serve, you know, a hundred patients a day. Yeah. And, but all that requires augmented reality, virtual reality, artificial intelligence, machine learning. So we're not quite there yet, but we will get there. Yeah. And that's, I think uh, the, the role of technology.
1: Are you, are you finding that patients or or people are comfortable with this concept that they would be working with somebody that's, virtual reality, someone that is a copy of Dr. Smith, but not actually Dr. Smith?
0: Yeah. So there's lots of good research in that space. University of Southern California, for example, uh, you have uh, Dr. Um, Skip Rizzo, who has done research in in the use of uh, virtual avatars uh, for the last 20 years. And they uh, they focused on PTSD And they discovered that, uh, you know, digital avatars, actually, when when a patient uh, goes and talks with uh, with the digital avatar, uh, the patients are actually very comfortable and and they disclose more because, uh, you know, they're not in front of a human being who may be very judgmental of, uh, you know, uh, who they are, what they do, and the kind of things they disclose. So there's a lot of uh, uh, research out there who suggests that, you know, patients are, are very comfortable with that approach. Uh, but like anything, like any technology, Andrea, you need to create trust, yeah? And so the patients need to see that, you know, a, a, a digitization of a therapy and, and a digital therapist is there to actually help them get better, you know? And so, yeah. So you, 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 you. I mean, trust is always built in time, right? And it's lost in seconds, right?
1: I I, I love that PTSD research. I, I I remember getting involved with it pretty early on and getting to see it, and I was like, this is pretty cool. How are how are you seeing doctors? Are they getting comfortable with having these digital copies of themselves? Because I know there was some pushback when Watson first started coming out. Because they're like, I don't want these robots in my doctor space. Uh,
0: well, I mean, yeah, I, I think uh, uh, doctors or the vast majority of physicians they they don't have a clue. <laughs> really, they, <laughs> really, they don't know what's coming. Yeah, a lot. I mean. That's why when we actually, you know, at at our interface summits, we always talk about what's coming, you know, three, five, ten years from now. Yeah. And I see their faces. that They're like, wow, (laughs) I didn't know that this is happening. Like, yeah, yeah, so absolutely. I I would say that if you were to do a survey, uh, chances are that, uh, I don't know, 98% of the doctor's have no idea that uh, about virtual reality, augmented reality, digital humans. What is a digital human? What's a digital therapist? What's an avatar? Yeah. And so all these things are very, very new. And so uh, of course it's scary uh, because uh, it's the unknown and you, you just see it as a threat. You don't believe it. You think, you know, who would have believed that you can use virtual reality to treat PTSD or you can use virtual reality to, Uh, treat uh, depression or anxiety uh, or chronic pain or acute pain, yeah? Uh, A doctor would say, well, you have to use morphine for acute pain. Well, no. Guess what? VR is actually more effective than morphine, and and there's evidence of that, yeah? And so uh, amazing, amazing things that, again, I think it starts with education. We need to increase the awareness of uh, what's possible, And we absolutely need to look at new technologies. Uh, And and again, we have 20 to 30 years of of research in in the VR space, you know, at Stanford, at University of Milan, at Simon Fraser University here uh, in Canada. So there's a few good universities in Barcelona, amazing research, yeah? And so, but now it's kind of, we will see these companies uh, and universities working together and creating new products and services uh, that uh, hopefully will show that, yeah, there's, uh, you know, this is an an alternative solution, so to say, uh, that is non-invasive, yeah, and in many ways, uh, uh, you
1: know, are better than drugs, yeah. And more accessible. Well, actually, how how soon would something, solutions like that actually be accessible to 4 billion people that don't have access to it, let alone everyone else that already has decent healthcare and wants better?
0: Well, that's a good question. And again, uh, since this is about marketing, you know, it's uh, your, your uh, podcast, I think it has to do with uh, access to technology and access to devices. We know for a fact that there's uh, probably 3.8 billion smartphones out there on the planet. Yeah. Uh, more people actually have access to smartphones than than to fresh water or, or toothbrushes. <laughs> like it's insane. Yeah. Uh, how many people have access to smartphones? on the planet so it starts there on the VR side itself uh, w- you know we're not quite there yet. I think there's only about you know anywhere between 15 to 25 million uh, VR devices out there. Uh, um, Oculus Quest uh, uh, 2 in particular uh, has you know a good market share out there. but we're now looking at Apple and others uh, who will come up with uh, new devices whether you know AR glasses, Uh, You know, could be Qualcomm, could be Apple, could be Magic Leap. Uh, And so uh, these devices are coming. Uh, But in 2023, we're probably going to see some very interesting uh, products in the market. And eventually, you know, uh, once Apple uh, gets their act around and and, uh, comes up with a a device that people love, um, you know, we'll probably see an exponential growth uh, similar to the... uh, Apple Watch, yeah, which initially was a slow growth, but eventually, you know, a lot of Apple Watches were sold uh, because they're very, very useful. Uh, yeah, it's really actually a medical device in in many ways.
1: That's incredible. I uh, you've got me excited for the future. <laughs> I'm awesome. excited well, for where I, we're going. I so.
0: hope I hope I got you excited, and <laughs> yeah. I, and, and I hope uh, the listeners uh, uh, got excited because it is exciting. It's I mean, the next couple of years would now. I mean, again, this is a a new generation. It's going to be a new platform, uh, a new operating system. Yeah. And uh, that, you know, many people believe that the metaverse and all that, it will be run by gaming engines. Yeah. And so not only it's exciting, but it's also fun. Yeah. Uh, And and that to me, it's a very interesting aspect because digital therapies, uh, not only they have to be safe and effective. But why can't we add an entertainment value? Why can't we
1: make them fun?
0: Like, what's wrong with that? Yeah. and That's a
1: great way to keep people healthy, right? Absolutely. If you make healthy fun, and if you don't make it like, ugh, I have to exercise, ugh, I have to eat. If said you make it fun, yeah. everyone will be healthier. And then they don't have to have as many medical issues that we have to address with uh, digital medical technology, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's incredible. I, I, I'm... Um, I'm super excited to see where it's going. I, and I agree, I think COVID kind of pushed a few industries very quickly. Uh, it was, a, it was a good fast forward button and and specifically for digital health. I think it'll be really interesting to see where we go. And, uh, it, it feels like that people are open to it. People are open to find the next solution. They, they've, gravitated towards working from home they've grad- gravitated towards zoom technology and and uh owning their health there's a lot more at-home wellness testing and health tests happening there's a lot more of people wanting to know their own information and i, I bet you know you're right the uh, apple watch is probably a big part of that as well mm-hmm. so uh, so where can uh where can people go to find out more uh about what you're working on or what's the best place to get involved if they have a health startup and they they want to go to an <laughs> okay. accelerator
0: Sure. I mean, uh, they can go to interfacehealth.com. And there's, uh, uh, you know, four different mini sites there as well for the challenge, for the showcase, for the summit uh, that they can look at. That's one. And that's all not-for-profit work. That's the Digital Health Accelerator. And for uh, our uh, therapies at Mind Therapeutics, uh, they can go to myndtx.com. So mindtx.com, And uh, yeah, there's some information there. We're planning to have our first product in the market uh, towards the end of the year. And uh, we're very excited. It's called Mindset. So there you go.
1: (laughs) I love that. Very exciting. I am uh, very excited to see that at the end of this year. Thank you so much for joining me, Michael. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you very much, Andrea. And uh, all the best uh, uh, to your listeners. I hope to see all of you in the future.
1: Sounds good. (laughs) This was fun as always. Thanks again for listening to Marketing Mondays. If you have any marketing questions at all, feel free to reach out to me directly at diacreative.com. That's D-I-A creative.com.
0: This episode was brought to you by the Outcomes
1: Rocket Network. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, make sure you leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and let us know what you're looking for.